This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. As the Senate appears poised to acquit the president on articles of impeachment sent over from the House, just what was the point of this? Was it a worthy enterprise, a witch hunt? Was it a waste of time and resources, or even a failed attempt that, by virtue of its failure, will unshackle an erratic president? Cato's Gene Healy, author of the Cato paper Indispensable Remedy, explores these ideas. As of this recording, it looks like the the Senate, after having not called uh, any witnesses in the impeachment trial of uh, the president, uh, that they're going to acquit. So, uh, in that case, what really was the point of this exercise? Well, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I don't think acquittals. A surprise to to anyone. I don't think we have to strain too hard to explain that outcome. It was always going to be a heavy lift to get uh, 20 Republican senators to cross the aisle and apparently uh, a heavy lift to get any of them to cross the aisle. But, you know, no no president has – presidents are infrequently impeached. Donald Trump's only the third. Uh, And uh, in the two prior Senate trials, you didn't get a conviction either. Um, and the outcome, at least if you believe the recent polls, may be s- roughly where the public is. Uh, some of the polls that have come out in the last week or so show uh, about even just under half uh, of Americans polled support removal. Uh, in the polls that ask, uh, clear majorities disagree with the proposition that uh, it was a quote-unquote perfect call. Uh, most say that the the president did something wrong slash abused his power. But there's while there's more support for the president's removal than you typically see in, in any presidency, I mean, Nixon didn't get to this point in impeachment polls until the summer of 1974, shortly before he was forced to resign, but uh, you know the the there is certainly not a groundswell uh, to remove President Trump uh, in an election year. With respect to uh, what a lot of people were arguing, Adam Schiff and uh, some Republicans on the other side were arguing that this will set a this that removing him would set a dangerous precedent. Adam Schiff, of course, arguing the opposite, that not removing him sets a dangerous precedent. What's the value of precedent since we're not really dealing – this isn't really establishing case law in any in any way? No. A precedent really needs the scare quotes in impeachment. Um, it's always a little bit hard to – it's harder to discern what the holding of an impeachment is than uh, it is to, to, to discern what the holding of a particular Supreme Court case is. Uh, so you have to figure out what does acquittal mean in this, uh, in this circumstance, and uh, that's always hard to do. Uh, what, was, what did acquittal mean in the Clinton impeachment trial? Uh, you know, how would you describe the takeaway from that? Uh, you know, it... It wasn't – I don't think you'd say that the message of that uh, acquittal was that uh, fooling around with an intern and lying about it in court is totally OK. Uh, you know, it was a perfect fling. Uh, it, it was – the takeaway was uh, doing that is bad. It may lend you in hot water, but uh, the judgment 
of the Senate and certainly of the public at the time was that it didn't rise to the level that justifies getting rid of the president. Now, in terms of how that plays out for uh, Trump's inevitable acquittal, uh, a lot of, of that is going to depend on how senators ex explain their votes to acquit, which they typically do. A lot of them explained it in the Clinton trial uh, 21 years ago. And uh, so that could go a couple of different ways. If they follow the lead of the House, uh, I think that could be bad. The uh, House Republicans, uh, you know, in the dissents to the House Judiciary Committee report, basically took the president's line that the July 5th, 25th uh, phone call with uh, the Ukrainian president Zelensky was a perfect call that uh, he was president was just in, neutrally interested in corruption and uh, just so happened that the corruption he was interested in involved uh, his uh, uh, one of his likely 2020 opponents for the, the presidency. Um, there's some signs that the Senate is going to take a, a different line in terms of explaining their votes to acquit. Senator Alaska Senator uh, Lisa Murkowski said the other day that the president's behavior was, quote, shameful and wrong, but that it didn't justify removal, particularly in an election year. And uh, there's some signs from other senators that they're not going to follow the House in you know, uh, endorsing President Trump's theory of his own behavior uh, or endorsing uh, what his defense counsel argued, which was uh, right up to the edge of saying that abuse of power uh, could, couldn't be an impeachable offense. Um, the Senate uh, looks like Republican senators are going to, uh, at least a few of them are going to condemn President Trump's behavior, but say it, it doesn't justify his removal. If that's the case, we'll be somewhere in the middle that uh, you, you know, using the uh, diplomatic and foreign power, pol policy powers of the office in order to uh, damage your political enemy is something that is not good to do uh, and could lend you in a hot mess, um, but not at this particular juncture removable. And that's a better outcome than what uh, the president's lawyers and the president himself were arguing for, which would essentially be overturning our understanding of uh, the Nixon case. Uh, Nixon's, uh, you know, remember that Nixon quit before the full house could vote, but uh, there were articles of impeachment voted out of the Judiciary Committee against him. And uh, we've long understood that case to mean, among other things, that using the powers of the federal government to screw your political enemies in John Dean's famous phrase was a bad thing to do and uh, could end up forcing you out of office. And I don't think that's an understanding or a precedent that we we want to damage. I, I think that uh, I think that sort of behavior is wrong, should be understood to be wrong, and should be understood to carry consequences. What was then the point of all of this? Well, you have to, uh, you know, the, you can't run the counterfactual. There was a uh, danger uh, if the House was too timid to press impeachment, uh, that you completely endorse this sort of behavior. There's always a discussion, there's even a discussion right now about congressional censure, uh, one or both houses passing a 
resolution where they say the president did a really bad thing. Uh, impeachment by the House without conviction in the Senate is essentially constitutional censure. Uh, it's the only form of censure that anybody remembers. Uh, you know, it leaves a mark. Uh, it's a uh, you know, it's gonna. It's in the first paragraph of the Wikipedia entries uh, for uh, the two prior presidents that uh, have been impeached. I'm sure, it will be uh, the same in in Trump's Wikipedia entry if it's not already. Um, and it's something that uh, presidents don't like to go through. Even Donald Trump, who who for whom uh, shamelessness is a bit of a, a superpower. Uh, even he seems wounded by it. Uh, just the other week, he was tweeting about how, uh, you know, how unfair it was that he had to suffer the quote unquote stigma uh, of impeachment. So it does perform, even though the bar is set so high that it, it has proven essentially impossible to remove a president in a Senate trial, uh, impeachment does function, by the House does function the way that advocates of congressional censure only hope that that sort of remedy functions. In terms of the reaction, this is you might you might think of this as uh, take the president taking an antibiotic. That is, he's cleared out the danger to himself. Will he be then emboldened to uh, double down on this kind of behavior? Yeah. Well, what I just gave you is the happy story about the. Uh, outcome of uh, this particular, you know, fourth serious effort at impeaching an American president. And there's a much less happy story you you can tell, and that's the one you allude to, which uh, we're always kind of writing on a blank slate when it comes to in presidential impeachment because there are so few of them. Uh, but we're doing that particularly in this case because impeachment has, presidential impeachments have tended to occur in when presidents were in the past, when presidents were essentially lame ducks, uh, in the Nixon impeachment effort and the Clinton impeachment, you know, both of those presidents were term limited uh, by the Twenty Second Amendment. Uh, in the Johnson impeachment, uh, you know, he there was no way he was going to get the Republican nomination, and uh, if I recall correctly, he tried and failed at the Democratic. Uh, nomination after uh, his acquittal. So he was essentially a lame duck. This will be the first time when we have a president who survives an impeachment trial and, and runs for re-election and may very well win re-election. And the theory is that impeachment's a cannon you can fire only once. And, uh, you know, but I guess we're going to test that proposition or uh, if he if he wins re-election because it is – given that the outcome of the, the Mueller investigation when he was essentially cleared in the – Mueller, not cleared of obstruction of justice but at least of some of the uh, you know, Russian conspiracy charges, it's the, the day after Robert Mueller gives this underwhelming testimony uh, before Congress, uh, July 24th is uh, when that's all wrapped up. And it's July 25th. He's on the phone with uh, President Zelensky uh, trying to gin up an investigation into uh, Joe, Joe and Hunter Biden. Uh, so you could say by the 
pattern of his past behavior that, you know, the two-year investigation didn't deter him much. Maybe impeachment won't deter him much if he's reelected. Uh, so, well, I, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to find out how that goes. Is it encouraging that this was a president who was impeached in his first term? Or does that matter? Um, hard to say. I mean, I I, mean, I, you, I I say that because you're someone who believes that impeachment is something that people shouldn't be afraid of, that Congress specifically shouldn't be afraid of, and that it ought to be uh, trotted out a little more often. Yes. Well, I think as far as that goes, one of the things that this impeachment effort underscored was how hollow all of these you know, this parade of horribles that, that's constantly trotted out on the rare occasions when we're talking seriously about a presidential impeachment. Uh, you know, we, we hear, uh, you know, that it's a, a national nightmare. Uh, Ken Starr quoted that in his, uh, in his trial arguments. Uh, he said, impeachment is hell. We're told that every time a, a president is in the dock that we, we risk economic disruption, a distraction from the vital business of government, uh, and it's going to polarize us so much we're, we're all we'll all be at each other's throats. And so now we've been through this three times in under five decades, uh, if you count Nixon, and none of that turns out to be true. Particularly, didn't turn out to be true this time around. Uh, you know, the stock market boomed in our last two impeachments, including this one, uh, for better or for worse. I think a lot of us would say for worse. Impeachment just doesn't paralyze government. Uh, it wasn't true for Nixon. He signed four major bills. Uh, what, you know, after he was uh, the impeachment inquiry opened, uh, Clinton had a similar legislative flurry in the month after his impeachment uh, inquiry was approved. This time around, while Congress was impeaching Trump, it also passed. Uh, uh, federal family leave, hiked the tobacco minimum age to 21 and gave a space force. So, uh, you know, maybe we could use a little more paralysis. But all of these scare stories, including the, the craziest one uh, that, that seemed to show up mainly in this impeachment effort with that, that we, you know, we, we were risking a civil war and mass red on blue violence. You know, all of this turns out to be uh, complete fiction. So in that uh, sense, uh, the costs of impeachment uh, are not what they have been said to be. Uh, on the other hand, you could say that this impeachment uh, did reveal a different kind of risk that uh, Congress was taking, particularly in a pres with a president that's eligible for re-election, which is you wheel out that cannon and you fire it and it uh, doesn't do much or it has a you know, little flag comes out that says bang on it. Uh, you know, you, you, Congress has sort of exposed the difficulty of getting this uh, so-called ultimate weapon to work successfully be, beyond the stigma that attaches to a president who's impeached. It's, it's clearly not a good vehicle for removing a president uh, before his term is up. So, uh, you know, I've, I've seen some solid arguments about, uh, you know, Congress has 
really revealed that it is a weak hand vis-a-vis the executive by wheeling out this cannon and having it sort of splutter. Uh, and I think that's something to, that's a cost we have to take seriously. What do you make of the claim from uh, Catherine Mango Ward? She's the editor of Reason Magazine that uh, impeachment is not about uh, sort of maintaining a standard for a president. It is about resting powers from an individual person. And if that's really what it's all about, then it's just a big distraction and we should be focusing on the size and scope of government. Well, I think we should be focusing on the size and scope of government and the concentration of power in the executive branch. And we have at least one experience with presidential impeachment where impeachment aided that effort, uh, sort of concentrated the focus. Uh, the The clearest case of that is the Nixon case. The uh, congressional reformers of the 70s in the Watergate era and post-Watergate era didn't just stop with hunting down Nixon and trying to force him from office. They pushed for legislation on a uh, on a number of fronts that w- was designed to make it harder for a future Nixon or a future LBJ to abuse presidential power. And that's really the last time in the in the 1970s in the post Watergate Congresses that we see a serious effort at. Uh, restoring the separation of powers. You had uh, the passage of the Impoundment Act, which uh, you may have heard of when uh, during on the road to Trump's impeachment, he violated that act. Uh, you know, Congress trying to reclaim the power of the purse. Uh, the They strengthened the Freedom of Information Act, passed the War Powers Resolution, uh, the Inspector General Act, uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Now, none of this stuff worked perfectly, but it's our last serious reform effort, and some of it worked well enough for a time. Uh, and that's so. The Nixon effort was a case where impeachment was a catalyst towards a broader effort at uh, structural reforms to de-imperialize the presidency. I'd like to say that's going to happen now, uh, but. There's certainly no guarantee of that and, you know, probably not going to lose money betting against uh, a a congressional uh, outbreak of profiles and courage. But uh, I will say that for as long as I've been following these issues, which is pretty long now, there's more movement on the Hill and more interest and more creative, you know, legislative attempts to put the imperial presidency back in its box than, uh, than I've seen in decades. Um, it's an uphill battle. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, I, I would like to see a situation where uh, impeachment has sort of concentrated the mind on the powers that we've uh, let the executive branch accumulate. And, uh, I'd like to see a renewed reform effort in that direction. Uh, so I think that's where our attention should be now. Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute and author of the Cato paper, Indispensable Remedy. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.